Eight years ago, three nerds created a little independent wrestling podcast that could, but over time, that podcast has grown into not just covering wrestling, but all things under the nerd rainbow. From Marvel to the Muppets, from Frank Sinatra to Count Chocula, from Mickey Mouse to CM Punk. Now, here is some combination of Chad, Zach, and Luna as we welcome you to the IndieCast. All nerd, all the time, exclusively on the WNR. Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the IndieCast. I'm Zach Romero. Joining me here, as always, is my co-host, Chad. Chad, say hello. Hey, everybody. And we have got a fantastic guest here with us, uh, former writer for WWE, host of multiple incredible podcasts. Uh, In this podcast opinion, the greatest Commissioner Gordon the internet has ever produced, and the premier voice in defending and educating about physical media on TikTok, Plus, he put Brain Buster video over, so I owe him forever. Welcome to our show, Matt McCarthy. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Well, hello there. So, uh, Matt, as someone who has uh, quite a few uh, podcasts under your belt, you are more than familiar with very boring questions that every podcast asks every host uh, and guest. So uh, we're going to try to run through some of those types of questions here in a little segment we call The Lightning Round. And so Chad's going to blow through some of these questions. You answer them with as much depth or brevity as you would like. Excellent, sir. Well, uh, question number one, normally I will be honest, is geared towards our independent wrestling brethren, who uh, we tend to have on as our guests, which is usually who trained you and when did you debut? You are not a professional wrestler, obviously. But uh, what is your first acting uh, gig that you can uh, that you can uh, you can conjure up? Um, I mean, I was the spider. As Little Miss Muffet, and I was the spider. So that was the very first acting gig I ever had. Very nice. And that was that was like six months ago. Yeah, yeah. That was that was seven months ago. Oh, excellent. Seven. Okay. Uh, question number two: uh, What is your what is your first wrestling memory? Hulk Hogan training. Well, I mean, that's my first clear wrestling memory. Is Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. training Mean Gene Okerlund for the tag team match that they were going to have against? Mr. Fuji and George Steele. Amazing. Um, previous to that, I have like a vague image of like being in a bed uh, with maybe like like rails on it. It might have even been a crib, but I think if I if I if I had the memory, it's probably too old to be in a crib. But who knows? It was the, it was the early '80s, so it was like just throw them in a crib. <laughs> and my brother had, um, we shared a room, older brother, nine years older, and there was a TV in the room for a ColecoVision, and I remember waking up and wrestling was on, so it would have been like a Saturday morning, and it was the, uh, like the Bob, it was the Bob Backlund open to... Uh, championship wrestling that was still the um, I think the Dixie Dregs did that song mm-hmm. uh, like the the open before they before it was the Hulk Hogan was the champion open with uh, the instrumental version of Michael Jackson's Thriller right <laughs> so, so that's that's my earliest earliest memory of wrestling but okay. then but then being at the McNamara's house and I don't know I don't know if someone had rented Best of WWF Volume One 
or if we were watching Tuesday Night Titans. But that segment where Hulk Hogan trained Mean Gene uh, is still like, uh, I've never seen anything like it. It's, it's so funny and entertaining and just, uh, it's one of my absolute favorites. And then, and then when I actually got to write there, um, I was like adamant that we, we recreate it because we were doing like a, a Legends Night or a Retro Smackdown or something. And it was, uh, so there was like a, a tag. This would have been in early 2012 where Sheamus and Mean Gene Oakland tagged together against, you know, I don't think the match even, even came off. There was some trickery to, to screw over the heels, but uh, that was that was my, you know, my goal was to, to recreate that. Now, as a follow-up to that, because your earliest you know, like real concrete memory is that sort of comedic bit of Mean Gene and and, and Hulk Hogan. Do you feel like that kind of colored your your preferred flavor of wrestling for like the rest of your life? Um, maybe, but I mean, it was also it was funny, but there was like high drama because it was like you know once they got in the match, it was like. You know, they did a bit where Mean Gene and Ed Hulk, like, because the idea was it was like, don't worry, Gene, you stay on the apron all night and I'll do all the work. And then they were celebrating and they high-fived. And then, like, Gene, like, it, they accidentally tagged when they high-fived. So then Gene had to get in for, like, a second. And it's like, you have to make contact before you tag back out. Um, and I just remember, and watching it back, it's like he's in for, like, half a second, it feels like. But right. When I, when I was a kid, it was like, holy shit, this is crazy. <laughs> um, so it definitely colored the, the drama of it, too. And then the, you know, because it's really funny watching Gene try to do all the Hulk stuff. But then it's also like, oh, my God, look at Hulk. He's a badass. You know, he's drinking raw eggs and running around the, the lake and stuff. And, you know going up the stairs with Gene on his back. It was just, it was awesome. It was the best. I, I just love that you, you had your opportunity to try to pitch that again and you took it. And I respect that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, no, there was lots of things from my, I mean, I was like, cause I, cause I was there like right before this, this particular run was leading up to raw 1000. So like, we got to always like, who are some legends we can bring back? Who's people that we don't see on every anniversary show? And I was like, oh my God, is Sid? Is Sid on good terms with the company? Can Sid come back? What about Vader? Because it was like each week somebody was going to kick the shit out of Heath Slater. Oh, that's so right. Was, yeah. Yeah. So like I had a big hand in that. And, and my big thing that I was like, can we somehow... Is, can, can Cindy Lauper come back? Because, like, they, they knew Piper was going to be there. And then I was like, what about Cindy Lauper? Um, and then it was like, why don't we do a thing where Piper is giving her, like, a framed record or a framed picture or whatever to kind of make amends for the one that he broke over Lou Albano's head back in, you know, 84 or 85, whatever it was. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know why I brought that up, but that was another like <laughs> fond memory from childhood that I was like, can we somehow put a, a, a button on this, you know, or, or resolve this feud type of thing. 
Well, I do feel like it was your destiny to really bring to closure some of those like monumental rock and wrestling moments of like, well, right. there's still unfinished business here, folks. Well, I mean, I was like, w- when they were going to drop and they had basically dropped the anonymous raw general manager, I was like, even if it's a fucking joke, we have to pay it off and reveal who it was. Even if it was just, you know, horn swoggle under the ring, which I believe is what it wound up being. But that I was yes, the punchline. Yes, yes, it was indeed. <laughs> But I forget who I, who my pitch was that it should be. I think my pitch was that it should be like Bob Backlund or somebody erratic because it was like, it was so, sometimes it was a heel, sometimes it was a baby face and it was so erratic. I was like, it would make sense if it was somebody who was unhinged. That's true. You know? Have him, have Bob come out, cut the, the promo about leading your society when he beat Bret Hart, like. Just have him cut yeah. the new version of that promo, and it's all explained. Because I even had the pitch about, uh, I was like, on Raw 1000, we should reveal who was behind GTV. <laughs> uh, and that was like, and it just turned into a joke line, but like, I was like, Zack Ryder should say, like, Mean Gene, you were the one behind GTV. And he's like, I didn't even work at this company at that time. And then Ryder's <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> We could have we could have really just done like an unsolved mysteries of you know forgotten storylines and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, how is that not a TV show? That's not a bad mm-hmm. idea. There, just to like, yeah, Matt, that, that idea is yours. Was... Take it. Yeah. with our blessing. Take that and run. What is uh? What is our next lightning round question? Uh, lightning round question number three. Uh, obviously we're uh you work in uh the entertainment field and movies and like what's what is the best thing you've ever had at at, uh, at catering? Oh, good question. Um, usually it's like the skirt steak, uh, and then they have like that green sauce on it. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, like God, a that's... chimichurri sauce. Yeah, that's always unbelievable. Like if the, because the guy's always off to the. There's usually like a truck. or like you know the hot plates, and then the guy's off to the side with his carving station. And it's always so good. Very nice. I do love it. WWE, though, that was always on, like, a commercial or something. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, Question number four. uh, There is some sort of, like, let's say it's like a Last of Us type of emergency. Uh, You're trying to get out of the get out of uh, home real quick to get to safety. What's the one piece of of, uh, physical media you have in the home that you're grabbing to make sure you save it? Um, Probably the videotape of. Like. Either the high school or college. um, Like like making videotape like dumb movies in the backyard with my friends or in college okay. like fucking around with the the, the, the camera in, 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 in the dorm room um, now that I mentioned that stuff I should probably digitize it I was actually just about to ask that I was like is that why you got into digitizing VHS to like protect that but clearly the answer is no no because I mean honestly I mean I, I the, the, the stuff that I Digitize is usually just for the TikTok or for the convenience of, you know, just 
now it's on this little cloud and I could watch it on the TV in the other room. Um, but like, I, I, I like, you know, the, the, VA, the magnetic tapes have proven far more resilient and reliable than we were led to believe. Um, obviously, it's degrading, and, and it is losing its magnetism. It's just the the nature of it. Um, but, like, how often do you have to change out a fucking hard... Because like, I know people with, like, these external hard drives uh, with, like, these Plex accounts and stuff with, like, you know, 20 terabyte drives. And it's like, yeah, you got to have the two, so it's a backup, and then change it out every three to five years because... You know, if it if it crashes, you don't know when it's going to crash, and sometimes it'll crash even before that happens. But then the, you know, the bearings get burned out if you run it too long. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ! I have videotapes as old as me that still play and still sound fine because it's I don't know. So it's yeah, I just it's, it's interesting. When you started bringing that up on your TikTok about like the external hard drive thing getting changed out, that was like the first time I'd heard about that. And I looked it up and I was I was terrified. I'm like, oh Jesus, like I've got so much shit stored on hard drives that I'm thinking like, oh, this will be good forever. But that does lead me to my next question. Uh in both the cases of, you know, one of your podcasts. Because, uh, I, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. But like but like I, like I just watched that documentary, the first VCR. Um and it's 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 not a very good documentary, but it's so dense with information. And then the other side of it is, um, what is it like? Cassettes go hi-fi or something like that. Yes. And it, but it's all about the history of magnetic tape. And and the fact is, is these big companies still have like the bulk of their information on magnetic tape because because of its reliability. And then they change that out every few years, like. They have stuff on their cloud and shit, but like it, it's 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 the simple reason that like every time you go to some big website or like during the pandemic, I was on unemployment and it was like they're constantly like you know or New Japan World is a great example. Like the site's going to be down for maintenance, and it's like yeah because they're they're shutting it down and they're moving probably I'm assuming you know one of the things they do is they're always moving information from one hard drive to the other so that there's not some huge crash and they lose everything but like big companies like apple and fucking um i forget the example they gave but it's like because on magnetic tape like a, like a literally a cassette like that i would play like you know motley crew in my car that much tape like when you put information on it it can it can hold way more information than a hard drive i i didn't know any of this it's fascinating yeah, because there was something about um, what was it, NASA or something? Not NASA. It was one of like, like the Air Force or something like that. Like they keep a bunch of their information on just like regular reel-to-reel tapes. Yeah, yeah. No, that's actually like people, people who like know what the hell they're talking about. That's actually the format they use, and because it is the most trusted and reliable, and it's like it, it's breaking down. Like nothing but a fucking paper's breaking down, but like right. you can, you can keep it out of the right temperature and store it properly and not touch it with your greasy hands. And it's like, you know, this is why we have the declaration of independence still, you know, and hopefully always have it. Um, 
but like you know, it's it's it, it, it's fascinating to me. Yeah, but it, you know, I get these chucks on the on the comments of uh, TikTok. Like once something blows up far enough and it goes outside of my circle and it gets to the fucking goons who are just like, oh, you've never heard of torrenting? I've got all those movies on a, on an external hard drive, and it's like, fuck your own dick, just get lost. <laughs> Well, along those the same lines of "Hey, suck your own dick." Uh, so, between your podcast about wrestling, which was you know kind of following along WWE, and I remember listening when there was kind of like the doldrums a few years ago, and you were like, "Hey, it's getting kind of hard to watch us every week." Sticking to your guns with WWE and wrestling in general, sticking to your guns with physical media, we're in a resurgence for both. So, I guess the question is, Matt, what's it like to be right all the fucking time? History will be kind to me. Um, yeah, no, I mean, <clears throat> even when WWE was at a creative low point, it's like there's a reason like that vacuum is what created AEW because Very true because the indie scene was cultivating all of that talent, which is now the main roster talent. Um, it's hilarious to me when people would complain cause we've been doing our podcast for 10 years and when people would complain dickheads mostly that it's like, why are you talking about PWG? Like, please stop. Just talk about what happened on raw. And it's like, first of all, please let me know what I can do to cater my podcast to meet your specific needs, sir. Right. Um, but the other thing is, it's like the, this is the best I'm here to tell you. It's not the best wrestling because I'm going to it. I'm going to it because it's the best wrestling. Right. And now it's fucking all the Kevin Steen and, and Generico, you know, Sami Zayn, Adam Cole, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Seth Rollins signed to WWE, like, right when I started. Actually, my first Ring of Honor show was Tyler Black's last show. And then he went to Florida and was, like, figuring out what Seth Rollins was. I mean... It's just hilarious that people complain about getting a sneak peek into the next big thing and also getting to, like, but, but, but that was a minority. The, most right. of the people were like, holy shit, I didn't even know New Japan. Like, I'd heard of New Japan, but I finally you guys talked about it so much that I had to start watching it. And my God, thank you. And it's like, now it's like, you know, all those things came together with Ring of Honor New Japan, uh, and then AEW becomes what it is. And it's just, it's, it's incredible. And it's still, we're still finding those places like GCW. Some of those shows are just off the charts. It's, it's they, when it's not purely just a blood promotion, Game Changer right. Wrestling has some really quality stuff and like the, the top of the indie talent. And then we were just in San Francisco and went to West Coast Pro. And that really felt like PWG from, you know, five, six years ago. Like, it felt like a party, and the atmosphere was hot. And now, speaking media, I mean, it's like, come on. It's the best. Well, speaking, the of, best. speaking of California wrestling, um, how do you feel like Lucha Underground, for example, obviously uh, done now for many, many years, but, like, how do you feel like that sort of fits into that bigger tapestry of indie wrestling and, and sort of these like interesting talents and platforms leading to where we are now. Well, I mean, we, we used to go to that all the time to the tapings. Um, 
we were at the first weekend of shows, and it was brutally hot out. It was uh, like in the the one tens, um, and then inside, like that little. It was it was literally like they did not take a studio space and, and dress it up to make make it look like a warehouse. That was a warehouse in Baldwin Park, and it was insanely hot in there, like to the point where I couldn't even sit down because there were these wooden benches, and it was like they were retaining so much heat. I was like, I can't, I'm burning my ass. I can't sit on this anymore. And they were handing out free bottles of water to people. I didn't even drink it. I was just dumping it on my head. It was, and then like Pentagon and Phoenix are in there tearing it up. And I was like, I don't know how these guys are one wrestling, but two doing it with a mask on. I, I, I'm about to pass out just standing here. Uh, but that said, like that was that first season of Lucha Underground is maybe the best like wrestling show that there's ever been. Um, you know, they solved the dilemma of, you know, the backstage. Because, like, with, with Nitro and Raw, and especially Raw in the later years or, or recently, it's like, do they know the cameraman is there? Why are they having this secret conversation, like, cheated to camera? Why is their <laughs> opponent that they're talking about, like, not aware of what they're saying? Do they not watch the show? Why is everybody so stupid? The cameraman's invisible, and then he's not. They acknowledge the camera when when it suits them. They pretend there's no camera when it suits them. It was it, it it's from a logic standpoint. It was all it's always very frustrating when they do that on Raw. Um, Lucha Underground, they set the rule and they stuck to it. There there are no cameramen. There's there's a wrestling. We are watching a TV show where wrestling is happening. Right, excellent and, way to put it. And so the backstages, you could have any angle, any God shot you wanted, and it didn't violate any logic, logical rules that had been set down. Um, and then Dario Cueto was just, I mean, it, the heel authority figure is as dead as dead can be, but that was as good as anybody since Vince McMahon has done it. Uh, mm. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and ML, MLW was not dumb for for working working uh, bringing him back into into the fold to uh, to have him start doing stuff with them too because I think he, he is absolutely right. I completely agree. One of the best authority figure characters, good guy or otherwise, um, that's been out there. So uh, I do want to give WWE a little credit lately too that they they're still not perfect about like hey do they know the cameraman's there or not but they've gotten very good about doing little Easter eggy stuff with people in the background of shots that people are not catching till later. Like they had Cody and Kevin Owens talking to each other before Cody came out to ultimately end up saving like Sammy this week. And I thought the fact that it was way in the background of another section was smart, smart work on their part for, for this at least. So maybe, maybe they're starting to get a little better idea of how to kind of how to handle it. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. They, 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 I've been noticing a lot of those Easter eggs, like so and so's in the background talking. Um, it's, it, it's definitely interesting. I mean, it, 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 it can wear on me a little bit. Where I'm like, you know, let's just, let's just get to it already. Um, right. But the, you know, it. it well, and and I the, think the, some the of that Easter. Of, 
No, go ahead, the man. The project's been better than it's been in, in, in a long time. Agreed. And I think the Easter eggy stuff may be kind of in reference to the, you know, rabid search and find Easter egg hunt culture of so many movies now. Like how many, uh, you know, YouTube channels or, or, or you know, internet personas are built around like, ah, you know, I saw the Hulk's ass crack in this scene in Avengers and it means this and this. Like that's a whole subculture now. So maybe that's kind of part of it is like, ah, people love to like comb through footage and try to find meaning in things. So let's appeal to that. I still don't think we've stuck the landing on it, but it is nice that they're like putting effort in, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's, that's a good point. Now, uh, one of the, as I said, before we start recording, I did some deep dives here and listened to your shows. And so I wanted to actually ask a kind of a, a, a fuck, Mary kill, as it were, uh, when it comes to uh, cart-related foods, you had mentioned some strong opinions about uh, cart nuts at, <laughs> at a certain point on one of your shows. And so I wanted to ask, fuck, Mary kill, uh, cart nuts, cart pretzels, and cart hot dogs. Um, what do you mean? Like, 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 like from a vendor on the street? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're on the street, like in New York or whatever, and you've got cart selling Bavarian nuts you've got, which as you pointed out on your show, smell fantastic, but tastes like someone's asshole. You've oh, got yeah. cart pretzels and you've got the cart hot dogs. So fuck Mary kill on that front. Uh, I mean, you gotta kill the nuts for nuts. Those things are, they always smell incredible, especially when it's cold out. Mm-hmm. And then you have like, after you have like two, it's just like, fuck, this was a mistake. Um, so kill them. Uh, fuck the pretzel because it's it's good, but again, you can't get through the whole thing without it suddenly turning to a rock and very true. You want to kill yourself, and then marry the hot dog. It's the most versatile. It's just it's the best, and it's a sandwich. So it's it's a wonderful, delightful affair. Incredible, that, excellent. Is that a sandwich or is that a taco? Wasn't there a whole debate on that one for hot dogs that that could possibly be considered a taco? Uh, no, tacos are tacos. If I, if I took taco meat and put it on bread, it, it wouldn't suddenly be, uh, it wouldn't still be a taco. If you put taco meat, if, you know, yeah, it'd be a sloppy joe. Thank you. It's a sloppy joe. <laughs> right. Which is a sandwich. True. Like a okay. We, we just reverse engineered it, folks. So, uh, Matt, one thing that you had mentioned on on your TikTok recently that I really, really liked was you gave this sort of sales pitch slash breakdown about the strong points of the original Blues Brothers film. Because I guess uh, people had been looking at your Dan Aykroyd uh, collection and you gave this like really heartfelt sort of explanation and context for that film, which I was really blown away by. I thought that was a really great way to kind of explain it without giving it away, but also kind of really stressing like, Hey, it's an old movie. So it doesn't have the same pacing as now. And it's, it was doing a lot of things that would had never been done before kind of thing. Um, so I'm curious, uh, we have sort of a little bit, bit of a segment on this show called fuck you. It's a good movie where we, uh, kind of get on our soapbox and defend movies that we have a soft spot for that pop culture has kind of taken a collective shit on. 
Uh, previous responses were League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Ghostbusters 2, Hot Rod, uh, Hudson Hawk. I don't remember who defended Hudson Hawk. But I, I, I did. Uh, I did. Like, How dare you? Hudson Hawk's a good movie. Live with that shame. <laughs> so with that being said, are there any uh, like So Bad It's Good or films that you have a soft spot for that maybe society or pop culture has shunned that you could give a similar uh, miniature dissertation on like you did for Blues Brothers? Well, I mean, recently, uh, I don't think Babylon performed as well as it was expected or anticipated or they hoped it would at the box office. And I think a lot of people who saw it completely misunderstood it. Um, but and, and myself included, because at the beginning, we because we went to Babylon because we were like, there's nothing else playing. And my wife and I do a movie podcast, and it's like, we got to see something, and we've got time. Uh, so we'll go see Babylon, and we'll talk about it. And it's three hours long, and it starts with, you know, literally, they are trying to get an elephant up a hill to a, to, to a mansion for a debaucherous party. And, like, you see the elephant's asshole open and the sprays liquid shit all over the, the dude and stuff. And it's just like, we were, like, I could feel, like, I was like, oh, boy. And I could feel my wife, like, shifting in her seat. And she was giving that that sigh that she gives where she's like, what the fuck are we doing at this movie? <laughs> and then, uh, and then we stuck with it. And my god is that a brilliant movie and it's like there is something to because i can on our show i compared it to um wayne kramer from the mc5 has a uh a jazz album that he put out that is like from another fucking planet and there's an audio commentary that you can listen to on some streaming services. And he, and he explains that the first song, that Sun Ra the, uh, was the biggest influence on the MC5, um, believe it or not, that like when they, when they basically invented punk rock, what they were trying to do was play like bebop jazz with guitars. And so that's why like all the, the distortion and, and like the way that like the, the feedback on the guitars, like, like the high pitched feedback, like right. when you start listening to it, you're, you almost think for a second, it, it might be an alto saxophone, like playing like fast bebop. And so Wayne said that Sun Ra on all of his records, the first song is, I, I forget what term he used for it, but I think he called it the true believer track where it was like, that was the track to weed out the non-believer. And if you didn't like this first track, you weren't going to like the rest of the record. And it always Ooh. put the, the weirdest, most fucked up song first to get to, just to weed out the non-believers. And I was like, and there was something similar to the movie Babylon, because I was like, you put this raucous, disgusting image first. It's the first. It's not like the screen like fades up from black and suddenly it's on a, an elephant's asshole. But it's like the first scene is this just gross, uncomfortable, disgusting, really off-putting scene. 
Uh, and then it goes into, you know, basically a, a an insane orgy party. Um, and there is something to it of, you know, I don't know if this was the director's intention, but there is, there was, for me watching, I was like, there's something to this of we're going to put the worst aspect up front and then we're going to give you the rest of the story that we're trying to tell. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, and it's not just a movie about movies. It's a movie about movies, about movies. Um, and it's, this it, it's just this incredible like i mean it, what the tone of ready player one what they were trying to accomplish with that movie i think they actually achieved in babylon oh, that's it, very interesting okay yeah because like babylon's the type of movie like if if you know i would love it if somebody did a youtube video with the dedication of like pulling out every reference that's in the movie, like they did with, you know, ready player one. Um, Cause they're like, it's, it's on par with like, you know, like Ulysses, um, you know, the James Joyce novel. Cause it's just, it's, it references everything that came before it up to that point. And it sits at the pinnacle of, cinema of that chosen art form in that moment right then and there uh because like ulysses if you read there's a great podcast uh the late frank delaney did it called rejoice and he breaks down and really unpacks like sometimes sentence by sentence sometimes just word for word sometimes the, the podcast you know they're 15 at first they were like five or ten minutes long and then the, the episodes started getting longer but he would unpack sentence by sentence and word by word everything in Ulysses. And it was like, holy shit, this is jam-packed. And when he was finally finished, you know, explaining and exploring the first chapter of Ulysses, um, he then did a count of all the, the, all the references that Joyce made up to that point. And it was something like 60 books. Um, oh, shit. And there is something to that kind of, you know, that that Paul's boutique uh, hip hop thing of like sampling everything and creating something new on top of it that like Joyce was way ahead of his time in doing. And Babylon has that same flavor of like, because you, you can watch it on the surface and just be like, wait, it's the plot of Singing in the Rain. Why am I watching this movie? Or like the end scene. I'm like, this is beat for beat. The, 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 the end of, of, of Boogie Nights. Like what the hell is happening here? But it was like, no, that's the point. The whole movie is supposed to be self-referential because it is about movies and it's about movies that are about movies. And then by the end of the film, and I'm spoiling nothing. I mean, it's an experience that has to be seen. Um, the end of the movie, it just goes through this montage of like every, literally every iconic scene from almost every movie you could think of just starts flashing by up to and including Avatar. And then it just, the, this part made me cry because it just, and, it, and it's so, it's so 
like esoteric and obtuse, and it's not the kind of thing that would bring me to tears usually. I like watching Kevin Von Eric wrestle and Godzilla movies. Right. But like <laughs> at the end of this thing, it was just it just started flashing like the three primary colors that a movie projector uses. And it was just in that moment, I was like, holy shit, this is what it's all about. This is it's we're just watching these flickering shadows. Just this this we're just being dazzled by lights. And it's taking us like moving the culture forward and like moving people to tears and to rage and disgust. And there are movies that are so upsetting people throw up in the theater. And it's just this it, it, it's this monumental experience and then it comes all the way back to this the image of an elephant shitting on a man and it's just like this is art this is everything so i think a lot of people miss that about babylon and they should give it another shot <laughs> now, now the question is how do you promote that like you're that was that was like a breathtaking speech how do you put that on a movie poster because if you ask me hey what's babylon about i'd be like i Margot Robbie is attractive, I guess. Like that was the whole the poster that was, you know, that was a lot of the ad campaign, it seemed. It was just like it almost felt like like um uh, like Grand Hotel, where it was like the advertisement was, look at all the stars. We got them all. We spent so much money on them. That's kind of how it came across to me, you know, not knowing anything about the actual plot or anything. Uh yeah, no, that's the problem with these publicity people because they're soulless and heartless and they're they're they they treat <laughs> art like it's a commodity. Um, you know, Stanley Kubrick, my favorite director, he was intimately involved in the advertising for his movies. Um, and it shows because it's like, you look at the posters for, you know, everything from Lolita forward when he truly had total creative control. Um, it intrigues you, it interests you. It informs you, but spoils nothing. And it, when you look at it with the full knowledge of the experience of the film, you can see what a richer image it is. And that's just the poster, you know? Like, the, the ad campaign for Lolita was simply, how did they make a movie about Lolita? <laughs> what, like, I mean, that's a good question. Great. Like, I'm in. How the hell do you do this, you know? Uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, The Ultimate Trip. And it's like, it's the, we're in the middle of the counterculture. There's, we're taking a trip to outer space. We're taking, uh, you know, the end of that movie as, is as close, until Fear and Loathing came out, is as close to a psychedelic experience I've ever seen on film. Um, I mean, what else? The, Full Metal Jacket, the uh, the helmet with the with the peace button on it. I mean, it's just like the guy Kubrick knew how to market a film. The guy was a complete and utter genius of all aspects of cinema. So with Babylon, they just didn't know how to. They're like, put Margot Robbie on there, put Brad Pitt on there, and that'll be enough. And it's like. Even big stars are not enough. There's so much content and there's so much competition for our attention that it's just, 
you know, and and I don't know that you can sell a movie like like Babylon. It's like it has to be experienced. Um, but God, I God is that a good movie? Well, and I think to your point with like the days of just the star power is all you need. If it wasn't already kind of I don't know put to bed with you know your superhero movies and things along those lines i think with the advent of the like original streaming content that is a lot of that is is you know where it's like oh hey it's it's a space movie but all you need to know is we got chris pratt to be in it and that that's a lot of you know netflix and and amazon and their sort of streaming elements is just based around like hey you're never gonna believe this we got this celebrity to be in the streaming movie so I think if it wasn't already kind of on its way out because of the like superhero genre and some of these other, you know, franchise heavy movies, I think that really kind of put the nail in it of just like, eh, don't worry about it. We spent this much money and this guy's in it. And that's like the streaming format for, you know, trying to get people to, to download it. Yeah, I think when it became completely standard that every role in a movie had to be a celebrity because that was one of the points I was making about the Blues Brothers that yes. that all of those celebrity cameos and those musicians all those non-actors in that movie like that was not a common practice like you would maybe see that in spoof movies or Mel Brooks movies where it's like oh this is ridiculous that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is one of the the guys in the cockpit or, you know, uh, uh, whoever would pop up in a Mel Brooks movie because it was like, it was not reality. Whereas like the blues brothers, it was set in reality. And then it was like, we're, but we're not going to acknowledge that that's Ray Charles or that's James Brown. Um, and the, the, like that, those were big, names and music um and it was like unusual to have that much talent in one place and now it's like you can't even you can't even have a guy in the background who's sneezing who's not like a seth rogan or a um and and i feel and, and it's and it's all the more apparent like with um like animated movies Right. Everybody in the cast has to be a celebrity, and it's like, who gives a shit? You know, because it was like, it started with Aladdin, uh, where like Robin Williams was the genie, and it was like, oh, that's crazy. Robin Williams is the genie. Um, you know, like Gilbert Gottfried is the is the parakeet, but it's like, but that makes sense. He sounds like a like a gross bird, but like Robin, it's like, holy shit! But it's like every, before that. It, it, you, there was just voiceover actors, you know? Right. It was just, you know, Frank Welker was every other voice, and you know, but I don't know. And now it's, it's everything is stacked, and then because it renders itself meaningless. Like, it, it, to, to come back all the way again to, to, to pro wrestling, when everybody is bleeding in every match, it, it has no impact. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Whereas when the blood is used sparingly, then it's like, oh, holy shit, this guy just got busted open. This is fucked up, you know? Well, and you mentioned that actually uh, recently you were talking about um, 
you and you and your wife uh, went and saw Cocaine Bear, and mm. you had mentioned like, hey, um, every character doesn't have to constantly say fuck, even when they're not being chased by a bear. Like it sort of diminishes the the impact of it when you're doing it, when you're spamming it like that. Um, yeah. And so I feel like Bloodshed is kind of a similar format in terms of wrestling. Yeah, I was very, uh, yeah, I was let down by Cocaine Bear. I was hoping it was just going to actually be Cocaine Bear and not, it was, it was, it was just, it was so erratic. You know, it was like, is, are we taking it seriously? Are we not? Because at no point in like Snakes on a Plane am I supposed to be like, actually scared of the snakes or like you know just make if you're making an exploitation movie make the exploitation movie stop trying to like oh is it a horror movie or oh no it's a is it a comedy is it a horror comedy i mean like a horror comedy is the hardest the hardest type of movie to do um and i don't think uh cocaine bear uh, succeeded in it i really liked but like you know, again, like with Lucha Underground, it's like they set the rule. See, this is the even though I've watched wrestling my whole life, and my whole life they know that the cameraman is there. This new wrestling show is saying they don't know the cameraman is there. There is no cameraman there, and now I accept that rule because you set it up and you you played by that rule. Cocaine Bear didn't play by the rules. Like I, I kept getting confused at what type of movie I was watching. Do am I taking these deaths seriously? Or they like when the I don't I don't remember the actor's name, but the guy from um Modern Family, when he's hanging in the tree and he gets killed, it's like it's a very ugly death. And it's like, oh shit, like this is actually like upsetting and frightening. And then when the, 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 the park ranger shoots the kid in the head by accident, and she doesn't even react. She completely no-sells it. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, the, nobody, nobody's in that much of shock that they blow somebody's head off for the first time in their life. They commit a murder, and they just don't even give a shit. It was too bad. But I like Elizabeth Banks a lot. Yeah, the, you're absolutely right. The, the Jesse Tyler Ferguson death was odd because even him being him even him being in the movie was it I, I don't did it take you out of it a little bit when when he showed up because it because it was him or it was definitely he looked so different that right the time he was on screen I kept being like who is that um. But yeah, it was like either it's just hard to make a horror comedy. If they had just made a comedy that was very violent and over the top, that would have been great. But like trying to make the there was the, it was like they were trying to make it Jaws sometimes, and then they were trying to make it you know like Evil Dead at other times, like like when when. When she's getting pulled across the pavement and her, and her face is getting pulled off, I'm like, yeah, that was funny in the house that Jack built because the house that Jack built was like, this is an ugly, fucked up, insane movie that's also going to be really funny because of how fucked up it is. But like Cocaine Bear, it was like, 
here's a movie where it's basically like, you know, wet, hot American summer, but then all of a sudden a killer bear comes in and starts eating everybody. That sounds interesting, but it's like the, the trying to balance that uh, proved very difficult, at least the way that they did it. My my biggest concern is I I wish that they uh, I, I like you said with Jesse Tyler Ferguson you're absolutely right I wish the biggest name they had in the in the movie was um uh, uh O'Shea Jackson Jr. What was Ice Cube's kid because I yeah. think I, I think he is just in, starting to become just enough of a name that you could like people's like oh I know who that is but just not enough of a name that it doesn't take you out of it like the the ray liotta stuff especially with it being like his last movie and jesse tyler ferguson definitely pulled pulled me out of it a little bit and i was that was a uh one of the hard parts on that one for me is that, that they wouldn't let me get really into it because they kept putting little little things like that in there to make me go oh isn't that that guy or you know Stuff like you know, stuff like that happening. Even like the Carrie Russell stuff didn't bother me as much for some reason, but the rest of it pulled me out of it. So I ultimately had fun with it. At the if as long as I didn't think too hard about it when I left, I I still had a decent enough time with it. That's so I can I can say that much at least. So yeah, it was. It's like it's the type of movie where it's like again, it's the the cameo culture is like ruins a movie like that. Like you can't like. Like the new Evil Dead movie, right? We are not going to recognize any of the actors in that movie because they want us immersed in that film. And that the trailer that ran for Evil Dead Rises was so fucking upsetting and yeah. scary because it feels like they are those people because I'm not sitting there watching, you know, like you said, like Ray Liotta in a wig. Like, if the movie's going to be Ray Liotta in a wig then we need to go in that direction. You don't, don't expect me to care. You know, don't expect me to buy into it. Make it ridiculous. Like snakes on a plane. It's like, yeah, have Sam Jackson in that movie because it's like, okay, now I'm watching Sam Jackson and he's sick of these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. It's like, <laughs> that's a movie that knew exactly what it was. You know, cocaine bear had a, had an identity crisis. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the the Evil Dead Rises, um, and I, I've always stood that I think part of the reason why original Texas Chainsaw Massacre was as effective as it was is because there is nobody in that. Like, right. the, you know, the, if you're showing that to someone who has no idea the context, they're halfway to believe in that you're just showing them a snuff film because it's just yeah. it's just regular people. And so that you're absolutely right. There are certain situations where star power in a film is going to hurt the film. Yeah, it's a distraction. Can I go another way on that one with the, the celebrity thing that, that might be bugging me, especially uh, kind of going back to animated a little bit? Um, that new Mario Brothers movie that's coming out. Yeah, exactly. I, did we need to have, like, Chris, and I, I, don't, I didn't think we were going to shit on Chris Pratt today, but I guess we are. No, fuck uh, him! Yeah, well, I mean... But but like why why was there did did the Mario movie really need all these celebrity voices if 
you, especially considering all the voices that the people that do the voices for Mario and them, it's not like they're dead or anything. They're all still out there and, you know, completely capable of, of doing this movie. And Mario, I think, would sell itself without needing a, you know, maybe Jack Black. Okay, I can maybe see that one for, for Bowser, but I, I, I just, I guess I don't get it otherwise. That, that's another one that I feel like that's, that's the same kind of cameo culture case we're dealing with here, that it's got to be a celebrity when it didn't uh, need it to sell it in the first place. It's insane. It's like nobody, nobody's lining up. I, nobody. Nobody is saying, oh, cool, a new Chris Pratt movie. What's it about? You know? Right. It's like, it's like no, Super Mario is the fucking star of the movie. And the guy has done the voice for Super Mario for how many decades? Right. And it's yeah. like, nah, nah you, we, we need a name. It's like, what? Mario is the name. Right. It's insane. So and they, uh, make, and they make the movie worse because of it, right? Right. Because at your best, at best, it's what gonna probably be distracting, or or yeah. at best, absolute best, it's passable. Which why could we have a an actual voice actor just do it instead? At worst, it'll be distracting and it'll be shitty. Yeah, it's so weird. I, I can definitely tell you it's distracting because when I saw the preview and Mario spoke the first time and it was. It wasn't even Chris Pratt trying to do a Mario voice. It's just Chris Pratt being Chris Pratt. It's like, well, fuck that now. What's the what's the point? So, it's like if we if we were gonna do Popeye, you're just gonna cast Chris Pratt as Popeye. Then, you know, it's like that. It's it's, it's a iconic character, decades old, with a distinct, recognizable voice. That you're not gonna fuck with. Like when Robin Williams played Popeye in the Robert Altman movie, it's like he did. It's like, yeah, he's Robin Williams. He can open the movie, but also he does a spot on Popeye. Right. Yeah. Insane. Yeah, it just so happened that Robin Williams happened to be one of the best like dudes to do a Popeye impression. Right. And then you put uh, Shelley Duvall in as Olive Oil because. That's the part she was born to play. <laughs> that, yeah, it's basically fucking typecasting from there. There was like, yeah. So, uh, Matt, we here uh, at the IndieCast, we've got uh, two very, very special questions uh, that we ask all of our guests. And and although we are not quite at 10 years yet, we are at a shameful amount of years in our own right. So uh, yeah. we, you're, in a, you're in your own kind of hall of fame here with these two questions. Uh, so first, uh, unfortunately in the incredible performance art that is professional wrestling, we lose a lot of talent early. Uh, so whether it be writing for them when you were uh, writing for WWE, having them on your show or, you know, uh, just being able to sit down and talk with them, who is one dead wrestler that you wish you could share some time with? Um, I suppose Andre the Giant, because that would just be wild to have met Andre. I saw him wrestle once, which is pretty fucking amazing. Um, but then, you know, I, I mean, after that, I mean, I kind of met everybody I wanted to meet. Uh, you know, I met Piper. I met, uh, and I mean, I met Jimmy Snuka. Uh, 
I didn't know about the about all of that when I met him, but I met him. Um, you know, met met Flair, met uh, you know, God. I guess I've never met Billy Eadie. I like Billy Eadie a lot. You know, Mass Superstar, Demolition Axe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, like, on, that would just be wild to have a story about beating Andre the Giant. Excellent, excellent. I think it's actually the first Andre we've had on the show in quite a while. We, we, we. He's stuck in in the past, but it's he's not surprisingly not nearly as regular of an answer as. Um, Eddie and yeah. uh, Thank Macho you for not Man saying Eddie Guerrero and Macho Man Randy Savage because that's yeah, the one we those... get constantly. Uh, and then follow-up question. We here at the IndyCast believe that every animal in nature has certain evolutionary traits to ensure its survival. So giraffes have long necks, rhinos have big horns, et cetera, et cetera. Our belief is that human beings as an animal, their evolutionary trait is their ability to use tools. So, Mr. Matt McCarthy, if you could fight any animal, what would it be, and what weapon would you use? Uh, I don't know. I'd fight a fly and use a fly swatter. He's booking himself to win, folks. That's what that's, that's, how, that's how you do it. Uh, well, Matt, this is the uh, part of the episode where one Mr. Brian Cage officially gave us permission to call. Get your shit in. Uh, if you want to let everybody know uh, about your social medias and where they can... Uh, where they can uh, see you. Uh, the floor is yours. When are people going to hear this? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Uh, okay. In that case, hey kids, it's your old pal Matt McCarthy telling you to follow me on all forms of social media at McCarthy Redhead. Check me out on TikTok. I show off my massive movie collection, and you can get a load of that, and maybe even request to see if there's a particular movie that you really like to see if I have it. And if you like pro wrestling, you can listen to the We Watch Wrestling podcast available Wednesdays, wherever you podcast. And on Fridays, you can listen to me and my beautiful and talented wife, Gwyneth, talk about movies, TV, TikTok, and all things in between. Watch it with Matt and Gwyneth. And this Saturday, I'm going to be in San Diego with Pete Holmes and Laura Banks. You can get your tickets probably on PeteHolmes.com. And then uh, next. March 18th, next Saturday, I will be in Santa Barbara performing with Dana Gould at uh, some sort of bar or venue there as well. <laughs> Go to my Instagram for all sorts of information on that. Well, Matt, thank you so much for your time here. Thank you so much for the information, the speeches, the learning. It, we, this really was more of a TED Talk than anything else, and we can't thank you enough. And, of course, for all of our listeners Thank you once again for subscribing, listening, liking, commenting, all that good stuff. And, of course, for everybody here, I'm Zach Romero. And I'm Chad Allen. Until next time, everybody, we always say... Deuces. Deuces. Well, hope I don't poop today. Here, I kill again. A jump scare is the Canadian destroyer of horror films. Pardon me. Might I suck my own dick for a second? I'm ready to greet the day, you <laughs> fucker. Every single one of you guys has made a horrible decision. <laughs> it's that dirty-ass Meryl Street. We are, we're touching wieners. We're touching wieners professionally. Ric Flair said fuck a six-pack, and he never lost an ounce of pussy. What I am is a big, queer, stone-cold Steve Austin. Love dick. Birds don't give a fuck about your life.